special good morning to uh, our visitors. We want you to know that you are an honored guest. And if you're visiting with us this morning, we'll take opportunity to share a bit more detail or get to know you a little better uh, by the end of uh, worship service. But for those of you visiting, I'm not uh, Brother Viltz. Uh, I'm Brother John Brown, one of the members here at the Hollywood Street Church of Christ. So if you came to hear Brother Viltz this morning, uh, I'm sorry to disappoint. Uh, but I do ask that you stay seated, right? Don't leave because uh, Brother Viltz is not here. I'm going to be speaking from God's word. Uh, so I cannot do it like Brother Viltz can do it. I can only do it like Brother Brown can do it. So I'm just going to give you what I got for a few minutes this morning and we'll all be uh, on our way. Uh, getting back to our visitors, let me share just for a moment that uh, we're really pleased that you're here uh, for a number of reasons. One is we claim to be the Church of Christ, uh, which means that we are Christ-like. And so when we have visitors in our midst, it's uh, a real way for us to practice what we preach. So if you have not been greeted with uh, a kind smile and a warm handshake or hug, uh, we have not been doing our job. And so we pray that before you leave this place this afternoon, that you give us an opportunity to treat you uh, the way that God would expect us to treat you as a visitor. All right. All right. And if you are uh, a member of the Lord's Church, uh, it's good to see you here. Uh, we have uh, an opportunity to worship the Lord on his day all day. So I'll put a plug in for this AM, the few words that I'll share with you this morning. Uh, I've got some for you this morning and I've got some for you this evening at six o'clock but it's only good for you if you come back at six o'clock, all right? So this is a plug, a public service announcement for an a.m. and a p.m. worship, all right? Lord willing, I'm gonna be here, and whatever words I uh, have studied and shared, I'm gonna share some this morning, I'm gonna share some on this evening. And I do seriously encourage you to uh, consider coming back on uh, this evening, because we have Christians who come back on this evening, and it is encouraging to see brothers and sisters who are here in the evening time, worshiping and singing and praying together. Uh, again, the Lord is in our midst, uh, but it makes us feel good as humans to have, as fellow Christians, to have individuals who are here with us on this evening. Let us, uh, again, notice in our scriptural text, Romans chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. Before I get in, we're going to do, I'm going to do quite a bit of reading on this morning, uh, but the goal is to hopefully have us walk away with some things that will help us. Uh, but I'll start us off with a story, right? There's a story of a gentleman who called home and... Uh, told his mom and dad that, uh, mom and daddy, I've uh, got some great news. I'm, uh, I'm coming home soon. See, he had been deployed uh, in the uh, armed services. And he called his mother and father and shared with them that uh, he uh, has gotten his orders to come back home. And so his mother and father were in tears and joyful, so glad that he had shared that uh, he was on his way home and he was packing up to come home right away. Uh, and in the midst of that conversation, uh, the young man said, uh, but I, I got a favor to ask of you. And the parents were, what's the favor? He said, I'd like to bring someone home with me. So they were a little puzzled and said, uh, I'm excited that you are coming home, but bring someone home with you, that doesn't make sense. I don't, I don't exactly follow. He said, I think you'd, I think you'd like him, but I just, I, will you do that? So they thought about it for a bit and they said, okay, if I must, uh, if you must bring some, one home, go ahead and bring someone home with you. We're just glad to see you and glad that you are safe and that you're coming home. And he said, I have one more favor to ask. He said, this person um, has had some issues. Uh, again, we were away at war and was in battle and uh, he lost both of his legs. Uh, but he's a great person. 
but he lost both of his legs. Can he still come home uh, with me? And the parents struggled. Uh, they were challenged. Uh, they told him, well, son, we're, we're not much in a position to take care of someone who doesn't have their legs. Uh, we love you, uh, and we appreciate that you want to bring someone home, but having someone without legs is a bit of a challenge for us. And uh, I'm sorry, given those circumstances, you cannot bring uh, the person home. And so the son uh, said, okay, and he hung up the phone. And early the next morning, uh, the parents got a call from uh, the U.S. Army. And it was uh, the call that said, uh, sir and madam, we uh, regret to inform you that uh, your son is dead. Um, and he's died from an apparent suicide. Uh, but you are still asked to come and retrieve the body. So the parents did, obviously, tearfully and sorrowful. Uh, they went to uh, retrieve their son's body. And uh, before uh, they packed him in to uh, ship him home, uh, they noticed that uh, their son did not have either of his legs. And so again, at that moment, the parents recognized that uh, the son was talking about himself. Uh, he was shared with them that uh, the person that is about to come home is different. Uh, it's not the same person that uh, you knew who went away. Uh, and the parents were able to acknowledge, even when they thought he was talking about someone else, that I don't know if I can care for someone who has these particular challenges. For this morning, for just a few moments, I want to talk to you on the subject title, What Would You Do? The question that I'll have you consider is, what would you do? Now, I don't know why in this story the young man uh, chose to uh, test his parents by saying that he had someone to bring home versus just saying, Mom and Daddy, I lost my legs, uh, and I want you all to know. I don't know of any parent who would turn their child away just because they were injured uh, during war. So I don't know why the, the, the young man chose to, to test his parents in that way. Uh, but he made a choice, uh, and that choice uh, had consequence, and even for the parents. Again, I'm not being critical of them. Uh, they were actually quite honest in saying, son, you come home and you bring someone, but now that I know the challenges that this individual has, I don't know that we can take care of him. Uh, so while they were being honest, they still had a choice to make. And when we look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, we tend to, to look at the first couple of verses, uh, which deals with us not conforming to the world and us being renewed, uh, renewed in our minds and us, our bodies being living sacrifices. But verse 3 is really, really important because it starts to get at our decision making and the quality of the decisions that we make. Uh, and that's where I want us to pause for just a moment. Again, I'm going to read several examples uh, in Scripture. And these are some examples that uh, we're familiar with. Some of them we may not be quite as familiar with. But the point for raising these examples and looking at them, and I'm going to read the context of the story because it becomes often very easy for us to look at the decisions of others or even look at our own decisions and not pay close attention to uh, how would we really react and respond in any given circumstance. And see, what it says in verse number 3 of Romans chapter 12 is uh, we ought not think uh, more highly of ourselves than we ought. And I think for some of us, uh, we think we're pretty smart. For some of us, if asked, we would say without question and hesitation, if this were to happen, here's exactly what I would do. And I guess I'm here to challenge us this morning to say, there are some things that you have no idea how you're going to react or respond until you are in the moment. 
And the reality for us is that we have opportunity to pray to the Lord and to be in his word and to be challenged by the examples that we have in scripture so that when we find ourselves uh, challenged with life's choices, and as a Christian, uh, in case you don't know already, uh, if there's nothing else that you spend a fair amount of time every day doing is making decisions. Some of them uh, we choose wisely, others not so much. And again, for us, the opportunity is how, when we look at these, these situations in the Bible, uh, there are examples here that we can use to help us. Now, again, it can only help us if we allow it, uh, but that's the challenge for this morning. For just a few moments, I want us to consider a few stories. And again, I'll do a fair amount of reading, and I'll ask you to follow along. And I also am assuming that we believe what's in the Bible, right? So everything I'm reading is coming right out of the Bible. If I happen to be reading from a slightly different translation that is on the screen, this is coming from the Bible, so I'm not making any of this up. And again, for us, it's making that connection to, so what does this mean for us? And as important, what would you do? The first story, and this again is quite uh, familiar, is uh, the story of Job. And we're all relatively familiar, if not very familiar, with the story of Job, and that is found in Job chapter one. And I'll just read for us verses one through 12. So if you can put up Job chapter 12. I'm sorry, yeah, Job chapter 1, Job chapter 1, and I'm going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. Job 1, 1 through 12. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And the sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so. When the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect, upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him? and about the house, and about all that he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. There are several things about this story that when we think about it in the context of what would you do? The first is for Job, did you notice how in uh, the first several verses that is Satan uh, 
came about that he was um, just roaming to and from, in and out, to and fro. I'll get to the what would you do part of this, but I don't want us to miss the context and what's so very important here. And We talked about it some in Bible class this morning, which is, y'all, Satan is always roaming about, seeking an opportunity to trip us up, to knock us down, to get us off track. And it is incumbent upon us as children of God to acknowledge and notice where Satan is. Satan is not what we see on TV. He's not in a red suit with a long tail and a pitchfork. Y'all, that's TV, okay? I want to be really clear. Those are cartoons. Satan is a spirit, and Satan moves about often through individuals, through circumstances, to get children of God to do things they ought not do, to consider things they ought not to consider. And when it's time to make a decision, good versus bad, right versus wrong, it is Satan who is often there, whispering in our ear, getting us to do something that we ought not do. I also to have us notice that as uh, this conversation between God and Satan Job was never aware of this conversation. All of this took place and Job was not aware. All Job knew was that one day, all his kids were gone. One day, all this cattle, all of these, these possessions that he had been blessed with, one day they were simply all gone. And the people around him who were his friends, uh, they took opportunity to tell him that, Job, I know you did something wrong. This stuff don't happen to people unless they do something wrong. And here you have people around him who are now encouraging him or telling him that because of all of this that has befallen you, you had to have done something wrong. So just fess up so you can get your life back, Job. This is what Job is going through, not knowing what the conversation was that was that had happened between God and between Satan. So I ask you the question, if you lost everyone in your family, everything that you have, possession-wise, if you lost it, what would you do? We sit back and we look at Job and we understand that we know that Job went through his trauma, right? We know that not only did he lose everything, he lost his family, all of his children, but he had sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. This is what he went through, not knowing why, knowing that he had done nothing wrong. And I also like side conversation here, which is, did you notice where uh, Job said that he, every day, continuously, uh, how he uh, prayed for even his children? Gave thanks for them that they may have done something wrong, so I'm going to pray even for them. Again, y'all, what, what, what do we do? How do we think about the decisions that we make? Some of us, again, especially those of us with children, uh, we have opportunity to acknowledge that our kids might be living a certain way. And we have opportunity to lift up prayers for them, to say, Lord, they are responsible as adults to pray for themselves, but I'm going to send one up for them too. Forgive him of his sins. Forgive her of her sins. Uh, because that is uh, one of the responsibilities of a parent. But here we have Job who has lost every single thing, and it's easy for us to sit back in our observation tent and to say, look at Job, because he got sideways a couple of times, y'all. Not once did he curse his God like Satan said he would, but y'all, Job got beside himself a little bit, such that the Lord had to check him, right? By the end of the book of Job, uh, the Lord had to check him, and uh, the Lord has to check us every once in a while, too. The Lord had to tell Job, uh, before you keep speaking out of turn, uh, gird yourself up. And I really like the way the Lord approached Job because he made it really clear that uh, this ain't no joke right now. All right? So Job, uh, like a man, stand here and deal with what I'm about to give you, Job. And he just went on to, uh, to ask Job, Job, where were you 
when I placed the stars in the sky? Where were you when I separated the earth from the water? Where were you when I created man? Where were you? And that put Job in his place to know that I have to check myself when I'm talking to the Lord. And again, it's back to us when we ask ourselves, what would you do if you lost everything and you had people around you who were your friends telling you, I know you did something wrong. You need to go ahead and confess and let's get this thing over with so you can go ahead and get these sores off your body and get your life back. Uh, when Job knew he had done no wrong, brothers and sisters, the question for us is, what would we do? See, we have an opportunity like Job to go through this without ever cursing the Lord. And some of us, we don't have to go through such uh, extreme calamity. And some of us are ready to blame the Lord and cuss him uh, before every little thing that happens in our lives. And that is not the example that we find in Job chapter 1. We see where Job acknowledged that, Lord, you have been better to me than I've been to myself. And even when I find myself going through things, no matter how challenging those things are, Lord, I'm still going to serve you. And you know what this means? Sometimes I have to get rid of some folks around me. I know that's your homie. You've been running with you for a while. That's your homegirl, right? Y'all been through some things together, right? Y'all go back. Some of y'all go way back, right? But there's a time when it comes to serving the Lord and doing what he wants us to do that you have to, you have to assess the people who are around you. And there's nothing worse than holding on to folk who ain't no good for you. Holding on to folk who are going to push you away from the Lord because the Lord has been way too good to all of us, y'all, for us to say, I value this relationship with this person more than my relationship with the Lord. The question again for us, when we look at Job and what he went through is, what would you do? We'd like to think that uh, we'd go through it just like Job. Uh, we'd hold true to the Lord. We will not let go of his hands. But y'all, I challenge us to say, if that were the case, uh, why we got so many folks that walk up out the church as we speak? Uh, we have more folks who have been here at one time and are here no more than we have who are still here. And that's not a criticism. Y'all, we just talked about Satan roaming about, seeing who he can trip up, who he can get off track. That's Satan's job. And the point is that Satan is doing his job. I challenge us as children of God to do our job. When we see individuals who are struggling, who are on the verge of giving up, we have an opportunity here to say, do I wrap my arms around that individual or do I tell them to go on? Good luck. I'll pray for you, right? Us church folk can get bad about that. I'm, I'll, I'll pray for you. Prayer is wonderful. But sometimes some folks need a hug. Sometimes folks need a couple of dollars to help them through. Sometimes folks need you to share with them that I done been through the same thing, taking away our pious uh, religious facade and let folks know that, you know what? Uh, I was jacked up before too. And truth be told, I'm jacked up now. I'm just dressed up. So you can't tell quite how jacked up I am, all right? But the point is, when we have opportunity, we have to take advantage of those when we have decisions to make because this becomes down to our decision quality. And again, all of us, truth be told, uh, we can often struggle uh, with our decisions and the decisions that we make, the choices that we make can have a profound impact on not only us, uh, but also those who we love. In James chapter one, verses two through four, the Bible says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. This doesn't mean that when we go through difficult times that we should have a parade 
turn flips, cartwheels, when we're going through calamity in our lives, but it does remind us that we're all going to go through difficult times, and when we do, our attitude ought to be that, Lord, you're allowing me to go through this, but you love me enough to make sure that I'm better on the other side. And when I am better and have the right attitude, my decisions that I make during my time of difficulty are going to be such that I know that there's a Lord on the other side, and so I won't make the same decisions. I will not curse him. I will not turn my back on him. I will not even consider leaving the church during difficult times. Because if you leave the church, my question to any child of God is, where are you going to go? If you choose to leave here, and I'm not just saying here, Hollywood Street, but leave the church. If you leave the church as a child of God, tell me, where are you going to go? Who cares enough about you than the Lord to receive you in and not uh, get you out here all strung out, strung up? Uh, on things that you ought not be. Y'all, there's no better place for a child of God to be. And if you think there's somewhere better than being right here up in the Lord's church on this day, you're not only sadly mistaken, but you got a soul that is going to be in jeopardy because of that decision. So again, the key for us is to have the right attitude, really be able to answer the question, what would you do? Next one. We all know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro, right? <laughs> a bidden to go. A bidden to go. Daniel chapter 3. Turn over with me. Daniel chapter 3. And by the way, and for another time, uh, we tend to look at uh, Christianity and people of color. And we tend to, because of slavery, because of things that we've gone through that we can relate to as a country, we tend to think that religion uh, is something that was thrust upon us that we knew nothing about until we came over on the boats. Y'all, Yo, you need to read the Bible. Uh, there, were, there were black folk all throughout the Old Testament, y'all. That same, that same Lord that was taught, that same Lord that was there, guess what, y'all? We were there, and so you cannot hang on the fact that someone's trying to give me somebody else's religion. We were there on the day of Pentecost. We were there when the gospel was given. As a result, this is as much our religion as it is anyone else's. So you don't have to worry about this is coming from someone else. We're somehow being distracted, distorted by the truth. This is our truth. And it wasn't forced on us. It was given to us by the Lord himself. And we ought to be thankful for that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Turn over to uh, Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. And I'm going to be reading from, uh, I'm in the King James Version. But I'm also going to be reading verses 1 through 6. And then I'm going to drop down to verse 12. 1 through 6. And then I'm going to drop down to verse number 12. And I'll just keep reading until I'll go to about uh, verse 25 or so. So I encourage you to go ahead and turn over uh, there. Daniel 3. Daniel 3. And I'm going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. And then I'm going to drop down to roughly verse number 12 to 27 or 28. Apologize, I'm pulling up my King James Version here. Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, 
set to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald crowd cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Verse 6, and whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Verse number 12, there are certain Jews whom, that's, whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, It is true, O Shadrach, or is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if you be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his vigils was changed, and against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake, and commanded them, or commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, and the other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound, into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, and rose up in haste, and spake, and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire. And they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. What would you do? Here we have the king who has built a golden image and is required that when the music starts playing, whatever you're doing, I want you to stop. I want you to bow down and worship this golden image. And if you read prior to in uh, the book of Daniel, you see that uh, the king uh, had dreams 
and his sorcerers, his astrologers could not interpret the dreams, but Daniel, a man of God, could interpret the dreams. And it was the king upon Daniel's request who had appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to some very important roles in uh, Babylon. Uh, so the fact that they were being bound and thrown in a fiery furnace was a big deal. But when you ask and consider for yourself, what would you do? Here you have someone in authority, the king, who is declaring, has written a decree that when the music plays, you bow down, everyone, to worship this golden image. And here you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who said, our Lord is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace. So there's one thing for us as we consider what would we do. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we can acknowledge that, y'all, the Lord is able. And we often don't give him credit for being able to bring us through any and everything. Now, he may choose not to, but he's able to. And that makes all the difference in the world. Here they first acknowledge that our Lord is able to bring us out of this fiery furnace. But you know what, King? Even if he doesn't, I'm still not bowing down to your image. And here's where, again, we have an opportunity to consider. Y'all, we go through everyday life. Uh, bosses on our jobs, leaders in the community, sometimes even members of the Lord's Church, unfortunately, will bind things upon us and will ask of us to do things that we know we ought not do. And some of us choose to go along just to get along. Some of us choose to go along because I need this job. And I'm not going to say no because I need this job. And I ask us to consider, is the job really that important that you would willingly go against God's will and do something just because the boss said so, just because the president said so, uh, you'll violate the Lord's law. And here's where we have uh, opportunity, brothers and sisters, is take a step back and say, looking at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they could have, given their positions in the province, they could have said, let's just, let's just do it. Who's going to know? God knows. They could have said to themselves, what difference does it really make? Does it really matter? Is it really such a bad thing? I'll only bow down on Mondays or Thursdays, not the other days. I got principles, right? I'm only going to do it on certain days. Y'all, you cannot pick and choose when you do God's will. And most importantly, we cannot allow for those in authority to encourage, coerce, convince us to do something that we know we ought not do. But again, that's on us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's one thing throughout all scripture. Out of all that was done, the Lord has never removed our ability to make a choice. He's never removed our ability to choose and to make decisions on our own. So back to what would you do? We're looking at circumstances in the Bible where individuals have had to take a stand. And some of them had to take a stand even to the extent of losing their lives. And how beautiful is it when you even follow the rest of the story, y'all? We read ourselves where they put the fire was seven times hotter than it was supposed to be. Y'all, we've talked about it before. Y'all, when Satan is out to get you, y'all, he's going to come with all guns blazing, all right? Here the king is, in his haste, in his anger, in his rage, make the fire seven times hotter than it should be. So much so that the men who bound up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego themselves were burned by the heat of the fire. And lo and behold, you got three men. And here the king says, wait a minute. I see four people walking around in this fire. As you consider what you're going to do and what you would do in any given situation, what I want you to focus on in this story is that, y'all, three men went in. 
Jesus was there. When you go in your proverbial fire, seven times hotter than anything you've ever seen before, bound, left to die, Jesus is there. And not only there, but if you keep reading the story, you know that not only were they not killed and they came out of the fire, but the Bible says that they didn't even smell like smoke. Now, I don't know about you, uh, I can't walk through a small group of cigarette smokers and not have the smell of smoke in my coat, right? How do you have a furnace that is seven times hotter than it's supposed to be? Grown men bound up. The fire's so hot such that the one who put them in the fire burned to death. And you not only burn, but you don't even smell like smoke. Y'all, we serve an awesome God. And the more we acknowledge how awesome God is when we serve, when it's time and we're in a position to make decisions, all he asks us to do is consider my words. Consider me before you make certain decisions. Often in our haste, uh, I'm just going to do it. Uh, that's when I think a little too highly of myself. If I think I got it under control, I got the answers to everything, I don't need to consult the Lord. I don't need to consult you, Christian brother and sister, because I got all the answers already. And that is part of our problem, which is we think we know too much. We think we are stronger than we actually are. And if there's nothing else we can do when it comes down to making decisions, it is to, will you stop and think for a second? Before you say it, pause for a moment. Before you do it, pause for a moment. Because it's easy, again, to take a step back and say, well, if that were me, here's what I would do. Yeah, until you're in the situation. And then you find yourself doing something very different than what you ever thought. So there's, nothing, there's nothing worse than uh, learning about yourself. Uh, you tell yourself long enough, man, I would never do that. And find yourself doing that, it's a humbling experience. Uh, and the one way to help you from getting to that low spot is to uh, stop going in so high-minded. In Romans 12, 1 through 3, uh, while he's, Paul is encouraging the Romans to Again, don't conform to the world. Y'all, the world has, just like Satan, has a mission. It is to seek and to destroy, to get you to look at things the way they look at things. See, the world doesn't have to think before it acts. The world doesn't have to consider the consequences. But as children of God, we ought to consider the consequences because everything that we do has an impact on us, has an impact on our families, uh, and it will, we'd be uh, wise to consider, again, what would we do if we find ourselves facing the same circumstances. Here's a couple of other things that I would uh, have you think about. Turn over to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. We're going to begin around verse number 21. Matthew 18, beginning around verse number 20. We're going to begin at verse 21. Matthew 18, verse 21. This is relatively familiar to us, but we, we pick out some good things from it. But there's, there's some detail in here that we sometimes blow by, and I'm going to have us pause and talk about it for just a minute. Matthew 18, beginning with verse number 21. Christ is teaching his disciples. He's yet another opportunity for Christ to speak and to, to teach those who, who are uh, around him. And the beautiful thing for us is, y'all, we got all this teaching right here in front of us, nicely bound. Some of us got Christ's words in red letters. Uh, 
y'all. Let's take advantage of this that we have in front of us, all right? Matthew 18, verse 21. The Bible reads, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. We talk quite a bit about beginning in verse 21 of chapter 18. How many times shall I forgive my brother? Seven times? And the Lord's saying, no, 70 times seven. And again, we talk about rightfully so. The intent here is not that you are counting for those who are pretty good at math, 70 times 7 is, what, 490? Nobody should be sitting around with a tick mark saying you're at 489, right? One more, right? That's, that's not the intent. The intent is our heart and our towards forgiveness ought to be that there's no limit on it, that we forgive endlessly. Why? Because that's how the Lord treats us. But the other pieces of this that we don't spend quite as much time on, which is, do you all not catch what happened here? A man owed money to his master, to his, to his, his, his Lord. 10,000 talents, which depending on who you talk to, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not even millions of dollars, depending on what conversion table you want to look at. And he could not pay, but he and his family and his children were going to be thrown into prison until he paid. And he simply begged his Lord to, Lord, I don't have this. I will, do not put me in prison. Please forgive me. I will pay. Do not put me in prison. And he said, you know what? I'm going to forgive your debt. Wipe it clean. Done. And the Bible said this fellow straightway went to a fellow servant, a co-worker, a brother, who owed him 100 pence. Depending on translations, y'all, and conversion rates, that's just a few dollars. Right? If you're using modern conversion rates, a pence is like a penny. Right? And you got 100 as a dollar. But we'll go back, maybe then it was, you're talking about the difference of hundreds of thousands of dollars being forgiven. And now you got a couple of dollars worth of debt. And the Bible says he went out straightway. And what did he do, y'all? He put his hands on him, choked him out. 
for $2. After just being forgiven hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars of debt. And this is important for us to note, y'all, because for some of us, if we can acknowledge the fact that the price was already paid, Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid that debt in full. So when it comes time now for me to forgive others, y'all, it's something I got to do. Why? Because I can never repay that debt that was already paid on my behalf. And for me being caught up in it, I, I get it, y'all. We, we are humans. I get it. People can do some terrible things to us that makes it very, very difficult for us to forgive them. But the Lord says we got to do it. And the Lord even gives us ways to consider how ought we do it. He gives us examples, y'all. And he tells us that if you're going to forgive, one, you got to remember that if you don't, I'm not going to forgive you. Now, absent everything else, that is enough. If I truly believe that the Lord is not going to forgive me, if I don't forgive others, y'all, I got work to do to work on forgiving others because I want the Lord to, I need the Lord to forgive me. I don't just want him to, I need the Lord to forgive me because I make mistakes. But here we have a servant who was forgiven all this debt. And straightway, the Bible says, he went and choked a fellow out for $2. Y'all, we got we to gotta be careful. Station break here, public service announcement. We're going to go over here for a minute. I'm going to swoop right on back here, and we're going to wrap this up here shortly. Y'all, money can be a thing for us. It is cited as being the greatest cause of disruptions to marriages. Relationships in general is this thing called money. Now, don't get it twisted. The Bible does not say that uh, money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Some of us. And again, I don't have my glasses on, so I really can't see none of y'all faces, all right? <laughs> Other than Brother T right here, he's close enough and barely, bruh, uh, I can see you. So that's intentional. So if my eyes are wandering and up on the clock, uh, this is because I'm not talking about any one of y'all. I'm talking about us, self-included. When it comes to money, let us be mindful because some of us put so much emphasis uh, on money, how much we have, how much we don't have, that when it comes to making decisions, we're clouded by the very world itself because our attitude towards money is all messed up, y'all. Some of us are sideways and upset because we don't have a million dollars. Y'all, Puffy said, y'all know what he said. (laughs) God won't bless some of us with a million dollars because you ain't gonna give nothing to nobody. And why he going to give you a million dollars if you ain't going to share it with somebody? He just assumed give it to somebody who's going to share a little bit with other folks in need. Some of us don't have a million dollars, not only because we won't share it, uh, but because the Lord already knows you're going to be a hot mess. A hot chocolate mess if he gave you a million dollars. Because you're going to be out spending it just like the prodigal son on riotous living. And why would the Lord, given how much he loves us, set you up like that? So some of us ought to be thankful that we broke. Instead of complaining about it, it's the best state we could be in because if the Lord gave us and blessed us with much more, we ain't going to be no good. Won't find you here. You're going to be all spending your money somewhere else. Won't give the Lord his due, right? Give unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to the Lord what belongs to the Lord. Some of us get a million dollars and the Lord ain't going to see none of it. But we'll convince ourselves and others, but I'm giving to the poor. No, give to the Lord. Because that's what he requires. Yeah, do for, do for the poor, yes. But give to the Lord, right? 
So that's money thing. There's just a little bit more, all right? We've been studying in the book of Judges this idea of making vows. And a vow is a commitment, a pledge, a promise. Uh, Y'all, as children of God, back to decisions and what would we do? Some of us got to check ourselves. I'm talking about Christian folks. Some of us will go out and buy something that we know we ain't got no intention on paying for. But we'll go, we'll go make the debt. Y'all, whether it is the, the mortgage company, the auto dealership, uh, one another as Christian brothers and sisters, if you're going to commit to do something, you ought to have every intention on doing it. And if you do not plan on paying your debt, don't make the debt. Pretty straightforward. But I know the world, right? The world can be quite, uh, can be quite, quite persuasive. You need, you need to live over there. Everybody live over there. Everybody is somebody lives over there. You gotta drive that. Everybody who's somebody drives that. You gotta wear that. Everybody who's somebody is wearing that. Y'all get me to heaven in some raggedy clothes, shack behind the hill, uh, on foot, right? Don't need no car. Just get me to heaven. And our attitude, again, towards money, we got to be careful, y'all, because we get caught up in this thing called money and how we deal with our money and how we deal with each other as it relates to money. And, y'all, it, it, it flaws, it, it distorts our decision-making. And when we ought to be doing things as it relates to money, caring for those in need, some of us, again, get so swept up and so mixed up in how the world looks at these things that we simply do not do what the Lord would ask us to do. And y'all, the thing about this is, and we've read it before and you read it again, y'all, we're going to stand before the Lord one day. I wonder how much we really believe and understand that. Back to the Bible is true. Everything we're reading here is straight from the Bible, not making it up. Y'all, we're all going to individually stand before the Lord. And we're going to have to give an account for what we've done, what we failed to do, what we've said, what we failed to say and even what we've thought in, in our heart. I can only speak for me. I've thought some things in my heart. Never came out of my mouth, so I thought I was good, because I never said it. I wanted to say it to you, right? I'm not saying you specifically, right? I wanted to say it to you, but I didn't. So I'm good, and I'm not good, because it's in my heart. And what's in my heart will eventually come out my mouth. What is in my heart will eventually come out in my actions while we're to guard our hearts with all that we have, y'all. We got to guard our hearts because what is in our hearts is going to come out in our actions. And here's another money, and then we get on back to, get on back to where we are, and, and, let, let, and we'll be done here shortly. Churches. Churches as bodies. Be careful. Be careful. The world says you need a big bank account. Your status, your health, your safety is all based on how much you have accumulated and sitting in some financial institution. Churches, again I say, let us be very careful because we as a collection of people are gonna stand before the Lord and what good does it do us to have tens of thousands of dollars in the bank and folks in this congregation hungry, naked, utilities off, kids in despair, families in disarray. We're going to have to give an account for that. 
And I'm just challenging us to think about it. Because again, the world says, what you got in the bank is somehow distincts or distinguishes who you are and, and whether you're good or not. Churches, church, collective church, not anyone in particular, we need to be thoughtful because again, us having money in the bank and families who are in need should not coexist. Can't sit on big bank and got people starving in your congregation. The Lord's going to ask us, how did that happen? And we're going to have to give an account. Think about it, right? What would you, what would you do? This is back to us, the decisions that we make and the things that we consider as we are making decisions. Let me give you just one more. Let me give you just one more. And I'll have you note these scriptures. I did not read them, but I'll have you note them. Note Ecclesiastes 5. Just write it down. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 4 through 6. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 4 through 6. And Exodus 22, and verse number 25. I'll paraphrase, but I'm going to get into a great detail. But it kind of still deals with money. And that is, uh, you know, if you have a need, ask somebody. That's allowed. Uh, if you say you're going to pay them back, pay them back. That's back to this vow we talked about, right? And if you're going to give somebody some money, the Bible encourages us, don't do loans. If you can't, don't, don't do loans. If y'all have an agreement, but don't do loans because you, you're going to end up getting twisted up. You're not Chase Bank. And, you, and, and the Bible, in these examples, is talking about interest. They had a problem. Some folks were giving other folks money, and they were charging interest. Y'all, that's not what's intended. But if you borrow and there's an agreement to pay back, pay it back because you made the vow. And there's some very strong words from the Lord in these scriptures that is, you know, if you had no intentions on making the vow or honoring the vow, you shouldn't have made it. Oh, and by the way, the Lord ain't trying to hear our mouth when it comes to excuses around the issue. So that's why I want you to read, read those couple of verses. Let me give you just one more. And this one is uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. And I'm going to end right here. 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. Let's look at verse 24 through 29. And if you want the rest of them, come back tonight. I mean that. Uh, Lord willing, I'm going to be here. And I got some more to share with you that's going to help us, hopefully, with our decision making. 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to begin at verse number 24. Y'all listen to this. Again, this is from the Bible. And they're probably going to have it on screen. So you know I'm not making this up. This is wild, right? But it's real, because in the Bible, and I believe the Bible. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse number 24. And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria. And behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto them, saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor or out of the winepress? And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, give thy son that we may eat him. And she had hid her son. Uh, what would you do? 
Now, even before we get to what would you do, y'all, this is a brutal reminder on a number of fronts. Again, back to us, we sometimes look at our current plight and situation and think it's so terrible or so bad. Y'all, you don't know, you don't know hunger and desperation until you to the point where you're ready to offer up your own child to be eaten and to consider eating another child on the next day, all right? So that's point one. Back to, y'all, we, we put things in perspective. As bad as it is for us, it ain't this bad, all right? And so we need to keep it all in perspective. Now, back to what would you do? Now, I don't, uh, what you probably would do is probably wouldn't go first. I'll let that sink in for a moment, right? But imagine the desperation of this parent where it is. Now, we done agreed that here's what we're going to do. And I held up my end of the bargain. And this is a, this is a terrible thing, y'all. Terrible in the sense that here the Bible says she boiled her son and they ate him. And the next day came and now it is, where's your son? It is time for us to boil him. And she had hid her son. Now I know for most of us, when I ask them the question, what would you do? Hey, I already know that for about 99% of us, uh, you ain't gonna take this issue to the king for resolution. You're probably gonna eat the woman, right? You done hid your son, somebody getting ate today, right? No, I'm just saying, keep it, keep it real, right? Some of us, uh, we know we're gonna do it. Is I, some, if I done boiled my child, somebody from your family is getting eat today. Now it's your son, daughter, cousin, nephew, somebody today, right? Here's why I bring this up this way, y'all. There are things that are presented to us that puts us in a spot where, y'all, you don't know what you're going to do till you're in it. Now, I pray to God that I'm never in the spot where I have to consider offering up my children. But let me say this. While not literally, we better be careful, too, when it comes to decision-making, because some of us serve our kids up every day. They're not boiled in the hot water and literally served to somebody else, but some of us, we, we do our kids dirty, y'all. And again, if not, I'm sorry I'm pointing, that's just for emphasis, right? I'm not pointing at anybody. We have to be careful, y'all. We have kids that by the time they can read, they got bad credit. I'll let that sink in for a minute. By the time they get to school, they, got, they messed up emotionally. Half of them, we don't encourage them to come here and do the Lord's work. But if you want to go play ball, I'm at every game, right? If you have some recital, I'm there on the front row bringing flowers. Bring your kids to the Lord's house. Set them up for success. When they get off track here, give brothers and sisters permission to admonish them. I, we, I, we talk about the village of old. I don't, call it what you want to. When we get to a point where it is we can say nothing to one another's children, we got a problem because that's fine. You don't want me to say nothing to your kid? That's cool. I will say nothing to him. I'll let the streets tell him. All right? I'll let law enforcement tell him. So that's fine. If you tell me don't say nothing to my kids, cool. I'm saying nothing. Right? I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray for that child because what that child needs is for somebody who really loves him to put their arms around him and say, look, little man, get it together. All right? Oh, and by the way, come on back here and let me show you how we pass these trays and do these things in the Lord's church because I'd rather you get excited about something in the Lord's church than to get excited about something out in the streets. And we wonder why. Oh, Lord, why the streets got our kids? Because we don't do the right things by them oftentimes. And if we want to keep more of our kids right here doing what they ought to do, why don't we put our arms around them and love on them just a little bit, all right? Parents, bring your kids here. Uh, Y'all know we got Bible classes for all the kids, and there are times when sometimes we can't find teachers. 
again, plug for the teachers. I ain't trying to make nobody feel bad, but every adult in here, I ain't got no young kids, all right? I'm here teaching young kids, or I'm doing what I can do, all right? If you got kids up here and you are choosing not to teach, if you can read and show these kids love, that's all we need. You don't need a degree. You don't need, we just need somebody who will love on these kids. It is not okay for us to have Bible classes uncovered by a teacher, all right? I'm just going to say it out loud. It is not okay. And for some of us, you can not only read, but you actually know how to teach. And you know how to teach well. And we got kids in here. By the fourth grade, they say if a kid can't read, if you haven't put a kid on the right path by the fourth grade, you almost can write them off because of the challenges they're going to have as they grow older. If that is the case, we ought not have a single fourth grader up in here that hasn't had enough love up on them, young and old, love on them to prepare them for the real world. Y'all, they're not fighting against flesh and blood. Like us, they're going to be fighting against Satan and, and evil spirits and principalities. And where are we going to equip them to deal with that? Right up in here. And if we can't teach them up in here, uh, don't be mad at the schools. Don't be mad at the governor. Don't be mad at the president. All right? There are some things, decision-making, I ain't going to blame anybody for something I should be doing my own self. All right? And you can't do it alone, neither can I, which is why we're here talking to each other, y'all, so we can lock arms and get after this thing together. There are decisions that we can make. Just like this, these women here, those women had a choice to make. The woman who said, look, we're going to boil your son first, uh, I'm guessing she had every intention on hiding her son before she ever made that commitment. I'm guessing, all right? The woman who said, okay, we'll boil my son first and get yours tomorrow, she was probably just desperate and hungry and said, okay, I'm going to do this, but I'm expecting you to hold up your end tomorrow. Y'all, again, be careful who you're, making, who you're making deals with, all right? Because we often make deals with folks who do not have our best interest at heart. And you're going to boil your son, all right, and eat your son, and tomorrow's going to come, and the plate's going to be empty, all right? And I'm telling you, look at this again figuratively. We make deals, we make decisions with the devil every day. We make deals with folks who do not have our best interests at heart and wonder why the next day comes around, and here we are now, left out there flapping in the wind. Y'all, it's because we have chosen to make a decision without counseling and seeking counsel from the Lord. We have chosen to make decisions without considering the consequences on ourselves or the consequences on others. We got choices, brothers and sisters, to make every day. And again, the challenge for us is, what would we do? If you're not a member of the Lord's church, you're sitting in the midst of Christians who are members of the Church of Christ. You've noticed some things that we've done that may be a little different than what you're used to. You notice we don't have instruments of music. You say, why not? Because the Bible doesn't authorize that in worship service. The Bible requires us to use our voices in song to him. And so we honor the word of God by doing it the way that he said do it. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper here shortly. And if you come back next Sunday, we're going to do it again. If you come back the next Sunday, we're going to do it again. And why? Because the Bible tells us in Acts 20 and 7, that is the example that was left, that on the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. And there's a first day in every week, and it's Sunday. That's why we commune on every Lord's Day Sunday. And I'm reminded in Acts chapter 26, in Acts chapter 26, verses 27 through 29. Acts 26, verses 27 through 29. The Bible says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuaded me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day 
were birthed almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. You know what saddens me about this is not that Paul could not convert King Agrippa in the moment. That is very sad. But what is most sad is that I don't read anywhere in scripture where King Agrippa ever came around and was baptized. Here's the message to those of you who are visiting with us and not a member of the Lord's church. You are not guaranteed another time. You are not guaranteed another opportunity. And the gravity and sincerity of making that conscious decision right now today that I'm going to put the Lord on in baptism, how important it is because another day is not promised to us. And the attitude that we ought to have when we come in the presence of God's word is that I'm going to be obedient to his word because this is the most important thing and decision that I could ever make. Out of all the other important decisions that I'm faced with on a daily basis, this is the most important decision that I can make. So I encourage you, if you are not a member of the Lord's church, that you strongly consider putting him on in baptism. Not just because I say so, but because the Lord is coming again. And he's only going to come for those that he knows as his own. And if you're not a member of his church, you are not one of his own. He still loves you. He still blesses you with physical things, but you are not one of his own. And he's only coming back for those who are his own. If you are a member of the Lord's church and already one of the Lord's, we still got to get and keep our minds right. When it comes to the decisions that we make daily, we have an opportunity to show that, Lord, we love you. We love you. We will honor you by making wise decisions. As Paul shared with the Romans in Romans 12, 1 through 3, verse number 3 again said that we ought to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought, but to make decisions that again speak of us being sober, thoughtful, based on the faithfulness that we know that the Lord has given us all a measure. So he expects us to make good decisions, but you can't make a good decision with bad information. And you cannot make good decisions when you're surrounded by people who do not love and care for you and who are out to help you make good decisions. If you're not a member of the Lord's church, you can become one by hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, repenting, that is turning from the things that you have done or are doing that are contrary to his word, confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and putting him on in baptism. If you're a member of the Lord's church and you just need prayer, because maybe the decisions that you're making have not been sound, they've not been solid, they've not been steeped in God's word, the question that we ask ourselves continually is what? would I do? And the answer to that question is, I want to do what is consistent with God's word. I want to do that which is going to lift up, edify my Christian brothers and sisters. I want to do that which is going to prepare me to spend eternity in heaven with him. That's what I want to do. And I know that's what you want to do as a child of God. But we all need help. We all need prayer. We all need guidance. We all need a pat on the back. And sometimes we all need a kick in the pants. Whatever it is that we need, again, we should be thankful that we have Christian brothers and sisters, but more importantly, a God above who loves us enough to give us exactly what we need. And it's up to us to acknowledge that, Lord, I need you. And I'm asking for you to intervene in my life. Help me with my decision making because I need your help. If you're a member of the, not a member of the Lord's Church and want to put him on in baptism, or if you require special prayer, we ask you to make that known as we together stand and sing the verse of a song. Yeah.